Hello, and welcome to this bonus episode of 10,000 Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. My name is Hussein. You can follow me at hgizmani on twitter.com. My name is Phoebe. You can follow me on Twitter at prhroy. Uh, and thank you for subscribing to, uh, yes, yeah, thank you for subscribing to our show. You really appreciate it. All your support goes into helping us do uh, this really fun show and have like lots of very cool people on. Um, if you've stolen this episode, fine. I like. I would rather you didn't, but fine. Like I'm not a cop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. But you could at least like tell one friend. Like uh, you know, think of this more as like a kind of like fun pyramid scheme. Like tell one of your friends to subscribe to us. Like that. That can be like you're paying it forward. Yeah. Um, based on my understanding of the film Pay It Forward that I saw very Yeah, Pay It Forward <laughs> is about a pyramid scheme <laughs> oh, I don't remember what it's it was It's about your like. emotional downline That's right, that's right um, And this week we're joined by a returning guest and also friend of the show, uh, Rachel Connolly You might remember Rachel uh, from I can't remember when Rachel was actually last on uh, Rachel has been on the pod twice before, once in July 2021 in the bonus episode, You Are the Main Character, Part 2, to talk about being the main character on Twitter. And more recently, she was on February 2022 in the bonus episode, The Revolution Will Not Have a Brand Partnership, to talk about influencers, activism, things of this nature. All three appearances have been bonus episodes. We keep our Rachel's paywalled. You have to give us some fucking dollars to get this. But, um, what I do know about Rachel is that she's a very good writer. Um, his work, her work has appeared in The Cut, The Guardian, The Gorka. And also, like, she has a novel coming out called Lazy Sissy, which I'm very, very excited about. Uh, Rachel, how's it going? Hi, thank you so much for having me um, having me back. It's nice to, nice to be back chatting with you both. You wrote like a really interesting piece in Kinfolk uh, a couple of weeks, I think in the upcoming issue of Kinfolk or the mm-hmm. one, at least by the time this is out, like the most recent one. Um, and it's about something that actually we, so in last week's episode, Phoebe uh, spoke about uh, and said that we would be elaborating on, uh, and this was in relation to posting around the death of the queen and just the idea of like people searching for, or like right-wing outlets, newspapers and stuff, searching for posts and like sort of interrogating that concept a little bit. And then the piece that you wrote in Kinfolk, I think, really relates to some of those elements because you wrote about the idea of ordinary people going viral and the kind of like ethics around that, how the arguments and the kind of conversations around that have been happening for like a while. But it's also worth sort of thinking about agency and relationships when kind of thinking about virality. And I thought that those would be like quite, I thought mm-hmm. they would be complementary things. And I think they would be really good stuff to interrogate so looking forward to this episode it'll be a lot of fun um yeah so <laughs> so shall we shall we begin i don't really have a post um in terms of like a specific post to interrogate but i kind of have like a genre of post which i think can lead us into this conversation um and kind of build up on uh, what you were talking about uh last week phoebe so this is a post from someone i'm not going to like read out that out or anything but the idea is that this is how she writes, this is how um, the Daily Mail builds a culture war story. They uh, like pick a narrative, then they, find, then they search Twitter to find key terms. So in the cases that she's given, the example of the narrative is feminists are hypocrites because, they lo- because Love Island exists. Then she purports that like, uh, re- like reporters, journalists, whatever, at like the Daily Mail, for example, will look up things like feminism, Love Island, and so on. And then they'll sort of build a story around that to basically imply that like, this problem that they've identified is not only widespread, but it's also existential. 
Um, mm. We've seen these types of tweets before. And I think, Phoebe, you mentioned that, and I'll let you sort of like expand on what you were saying last week just to start us off. But it was really this idea that like, um, especially around about the time when the queen died, uh, where it was like, uh, you know, you had these posters that were like, oh, Ruby, like, be careful about what you post because you know who's scouring for it or like, you know, someone's career is going to end in the next kind of few days. So uh, yeah, why didn't, why didn't you like tell us what you were talking about last week? And yeah, like just elaborate a bit more. Yeah. All right. So I think what, what, what has happened here and we're just talking, we're just talking about Twitter, but as we have discussed ad infinitum on this, on this show, Twitter is, is now like it's now like a really really active and important part of the media ecosystem. Like it has it has taken it's taken the place of um, well it's taken the place of a functioning of a functioning media because what happens on Twitter like sets the agenda for mm. what happens in legacy media and particularly um, feeding into what into a kind of narrative that legacy media is trying to is trying to establish whatever that narrative might be. And so what happens when there is a an event that takes place that uh that there is an idea that uh that the right that the right wing media machine is is interested in and is also interested in making an example of particularly the left but but also kind of i suppose what you'd call what you'd call neutrals i guess yeah casuals yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah posting casuals um and that's and that's something which is like that's something which is demonstrable. Like it has happened, it has happened on a number of different a number of different occasions. Um, some like sometimes to people that I've known personally, sometimes people that I don't know personally. Um, it is a very very observable phenomenon, and it is I think probably not brilliant to completely dismiss out of hand anyone saying. I think you should maybe be careful about what you post about the Queen or um, if you, oh, six months ago or whatever about uh, Prince Philip. It might have been a year ago. Was it a year ago? Yeah, I think it was. It felt like six. It, it feels shorter, uh, okay, but it was about well, a year ago. Anyway, yeah. when, 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 when Prince Philip died, there were, there were people who said, I was, I was amongst them who said, if I were you, I would be a little bit careful about, uh, about what you've got to say about, about Prince Philip because the right-wing media machine will be, will be scouring. And the responses and reactions to that ranged from people saying like, oh, you know, if you're like a real socialist, you wouldn't be like such a coward. It's like, yeah, but do you really want, do you really want like death threats for your seven fave meme rewriting? Is that genuinely something that you think is like a kind of valuable use of your finite time on this earth? Which if you do, if you do think it is, and I think there is an argument that there is a kind of uh, gleeful disobedience to uh, to posting something, posting something outrageous, posting something, posting something funny is in heavy inverts, but you know whatever. Um, because how else really does one uh, does one show their disobedience at you know at present? Like mm. it's a, in the in in the present time. Uh, as we have observed in you know a number number of different cases, the government will do exactly what they want, and there's literally nothing that anyone can do about it. Any basically, we are all we are all functioning on the same kind of frequency of powerlessness. So there is a kind of anarchic joy in 
you know, in sort of, in sort of, in sort of talking back. And if that's all you can do, then maybe that is all you can do. I personally, I don't think it's personally, I don't think it's worth it necessarily. Um, mm. But the way thing, but the way uh, the way discourse operates on on Twitter is that everyone thinks one thing or there's a kind of general consensus and when the consensus shifts it's like a kind of murmuration and everyone does this like big wheel turn at the same time and tends to kind of overcorrect the other way and this is something that i've definitely noticed in the last like few years with like like big left wing twitter fi- like twitter figures who just outright post misogyny now just like active misogyny Mm, and they spend quite a lot of time finding women who they find a bit annoying and quit and Mm -hmm. retweeting them onto the timelines of the people who they know will respond in a violently hostile way and this is deemed to be like a kind of reasonable corrective reaction to the fact that a few years ago some woman said like reading Goethe is a red flag like Mm. That seems to, and that's the, and that's the big, and like Rachel, I know you and I have talked about this separately, but mm-hmm. that's like the big, but that's like the big wheel turn. It's like, oh, what well, some women are annoying, therefore bring back rape threats, but yes. from the left, um, which I I feel is not a, a good thing, and I think any overcorrection and any insistence that something is all true when it is maybe a bit true, etc. Um, but the but the but the big but the big one for this is that. What I have noticed um, in cases where people really have had their lives either ruined or made extremely difficult is they are a person who have been selected who fits the narrative by the right wing media machine, and then they go looking for the posts to back up their to back up their life ruining efforts. It's they're not looking for the posts per se. Like if you get embedded into a Daily Mail story, like you might get a few weirdos in your ads for like a few days. But if you are uh, if you are chosen to be made an example of by the right wing media machine, um, then there's actually there's no way of predicting it. There's no way of protecting yourself from it. And yeah. I think the problem with saying don't post jokes about the Queen uh, is it lulls people into a false sense of security where they think that they will never be made an example of. But then also saying go ahead, do post jokes about the Queen, otherwise you're a coward. What is it like genuinely like unless you're really coming up with like a new a new joke if you're just rewording a meme then what like what do you feel like that's like like if you do end up on yeah. a kind of embedded article like is that really Okay I don't know whether this is like a question to the floor or whether this is a no, question no, no, no. specifically just, to No 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 it's not no no, no it's yeah. not directed at you at all yeah. because you weren't stupid enough to I deleted I deleted my post I deleted my post because I was getting too much shit for it I thought it was quite funny though like I thought the avatar was it? Thing. it was very gentle fucking yeah, hell Yeah well she like this was just before she was like the announcement was made even though uh, according to various credible sources I know she was definitely dead by the time I posted this where I was just like it's a shame that the queen won't be alive to see avatar the way of water this December I don't think that's like a bad observation to make but I had a lot of people being like, this is not the right time. And like, but also like people that just hated Avatar. So there was like this kind of weird mix. <laughs> that's, of, a, that's a very funny pincer movement. It <laughs> <laughs> was this very strange mix of people who were like unsure whether they were mad at me because of the Queen, or whether be- whether it was because I said that like 
Avatar The Way of the Water will not just not only be like a revolutionary film, but like a spiritual moment uh, at a time of like, you know, cultural stagnation. Anyway, I did delete it after I kind of realized where it was going. Yeah. Um, but I think that like, I don't know, like, you know, not, my my thinking based on like being someone who definitely just has sort of reappropriated memes um, is that like, you know, there is this, you know, people there are there are on a very base level, people just wanting to kind of like get involved and sort of like have some attention. Get involved. Get involved. It's not the bake off final. I sorry, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean? They just sort of just want to like be part of it, like in whatever way. Yeah. And, I mean that's yeah. why that's why memes have a both an effective and affective <laughs> quality because right. people like being involved yeah. and they like and they like this kind yeah. of I, I I suppose like I don't know what you think about this, Rach, but like I think there's something kind of um, sort of ersatz community building about like repeating a kind of recognizable joke. It's like <laughs> it's like kind of it's like sort of flashing your team colors. It's like we all recognize this joke, and it we yeah. all know that it would be a disaster if this joke wound mm-hmm. up under the wrong eyes. Yeah, I think. Well, I think the um the thing about ending up in the Daily Mail because of like random tweets. I mean, like that actually happened to a friend of mine. Mm. So my friend Jason Akundai, who is now a writer and has a you know like fairly big platform and stuff, but back when he was at university and he was just tweeting randomly and like he didn't you know he didn't even have a huge Twitter following or anything mm. like that, he tweeted something like white people are racist or something something that was like very like 2014 you know like it was like maybe like i'm not saying white people are racist but he probably wouldn't tweet it now yeah sure just because it's a bit like lame and cringe or whatever but he tweeted it back then and katie hopkins like got wind of it somehow oh, and she no. kind of started this like big twitter beef with him and then they splashed in it i think it was like on the front page and someone doorstep they found pictures of him at uni because he hadn't come out yet, but he's gay. Oh, and they doorstep to his mum to tell her that he was gay. So it, ca- it can happen to just random people yeah, if, no, it no, gets no. Caught, if it gets caught in the wrong way. But yeah, I think, um, of course. I think, but then, but I think some of, I think basically, like what I was going to say about the Jason case is that he, even before he had a profile, is the exact person who Daily Mail hits and that like, he's like a black mm. gay guy at Oxford who is someone who they don't think should be in that kind of institution, like all the rest of it. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that, yeah, some of this discourse about getting picked up with, by the Daily Mail can sort of like ignore the type of people they're likely to pick up, which is not necessarily a public figure. But like, I think if you were, if you were a Muslim woman who had a picture of you where you were like, you know, like looking pretty and glamorous, but wearing a hijab and you, um, you um, posted like memes about the Queen. I think it's like very likely that you would yeah, probably end up in the Daily Mail. Yeah. So I think that's a it's that that's a character who they just like resent yeah. and dislike anyway. Um, so I think yeah, it's like there's certain types of people, not even because I think yeah, someone like Owen Jones will probably end up in the Daily Mail if he posts because obviously like he just is a huge personality anyway. Mm. But I think there's people outside of that huge personality space who are just yeah. like a natural kind of hit figure. And I think, and I think, yes, yeah, some of this discourse about like any one of us could be, <laughs> could be a target. It's like, it's almost minimizing the fact that the Daily Mail does like pick on certain types of yeah, people, like exactly. much, much more than, much more than, because even I think, um, I mean, I was thinking this a lot with the, the Queen stuff. I feel like there's, um, there's a, uh, I feel like it's, it's a sort of accepted thing that Irish people like are allowed to be sort of like, irreverent about the queen mm. and that's like, totally fine and like there's no one really seems to have an issue with that and, like americans love it they love the banter but there was like two black 
female academics who were made mm, yeah. a big example, like Zoe Samudzi, who's um like I know her online, like big fan of her writing and stuff. She she like she tweeted something that was like not not worse than any Irish person was tweeting, and then she was like featured in the Daily Mail. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I feel like some of this, like any one of us could be the target. Yeah. Like actually aligns the type of person who is a target for them, which is not the average. You know, it's not it's not like any like white guy. Yeah. A little, I feel like a lot of shit shit posts left Twitter is like white cis men, <laughs> and I feel like yeah. or or yeah. women, but I feel like that's <laughs> and it, that's not like the type of person who they necessarily like will go in it's on. A, it's okay to say it's men. It is men. <laughs> like it, it, like it is. I men because I didn't I didn't want it to sound like I was making it. Just, I I almost was like I didn't want it to sound like I was saying like and white women are an oppressed minority because I obviously don't think that. But I was being like. It's mostly white yeah, men who are supposed to do it. It's like the Daily Mail's not going to splash on some guy called, like, you know, like Charlie, who's like, you know, at, doing history at York or whatever. It's like that's not the type of person who they, who their readers love mm-hmm. to get angry at. Yeah, I knew a Charlie who did history at York. There's lo- lots of Surely that's got to be at least eighty yeah, percent of I think the I knew history four, students. I, I think there were like eight of them in my first, in my yeah. in my first cohort. Yeah, um, just just a bit of York law. A little bit of York law. Love a bit of York law. What I was going to say about um, the academic that you mentioned, I, whose name I can't remember, unfortunately, but I know who you're talking about, and I'm sure listeners do as well. Um, Zoe Smitzy. That's name. Like she was. She. I think it was. It kind of, I, I was just thinking as you were talking, it sort of goes back to, and Phoebe, you've also mentioned this as well, about the kind of like, uh, sort of like when you were talking about posting, when you were thinking about posting, um, what you're really talking about is sort of like reactions playing off each other. And in the case of like, you know, you're right in sort of saying that when it comes to sort of picking targets, there is certainly a difference between like having your post sort of being embedded into like, an SEO optimized article about mm-hmm. you know the you know the what the the intolerant the intolerant like woke left mobs um and you know you might get some kind of like weird DMs or like weird messages but it's nowhere near the scale of like having a pylon and like that pylon will will often happen when you are someone who like number one like put like has your sort of full name in public and is like easily searchable mm. but also if you occupy like certain fields so like I remember um was it during the election or I mean it was just during that period where like anyone who like said anything about you know the nhs needs funding or like you know public services are degrading that like you'd have like a fucking guido guy be like oh this person went to the labor party conference in 2015 and like you know and the bbc refuses to disclose it mm. or you know there was a doctor or like a kind of someone who worked in the, the nhs yeah oh yeah the like, labor activist the yeah, one who, who yeah the, the, the this is him here which, yeah, which but, was Laura Kinsberg, which was Laura Kinsberg. Yeah. yeah. And and this is what's and this is what I think is so is so interesting is the is is that we have this entire media machine that genuinely cannot imagine why either working for a deliberately managed decline NHS or having a sick kid who needs a lot of treatment through the NHS, why that would draw you to political activism. That seems to be like beyond the imaginative capabilities yeah. of our media and it's like and it's yeah. used as like a gotcha as opposed yeah. to a well this makes sense i think there's like something bigger in play in terms of just like the way that narratives are kind of deliberately manufactured mm. and then when they're sort of reinforced trying to sort of like challenge them becomes more difficult in actuality yeah um and you know so that's obviously part of it and then you know there's obviously just like the bad faith discourse around you know bias and all that stuff yeah but it's not it's i don't think it's i don't think it's just that it's because because it's like the way that people like to like to repeat the memes because they like to you know 
everyone's doing it, so I'm going to do it as well. I think people also like to feel like they're also being targeted by an enemy in yeah, yeah. totally, totally, uh, in, yeah. In, like in, in, <laughs> totally in, think that. And again, like if you are if you are a woman of if you're a woman of color, your chances of like falling foul of uh of the right wing media machines, like example making machine, mm-hmm. um, but. Like I think that I think the Daily Mail as well particularly yeah. really really resents um, people of color or like particularly like black people I think but who have a high status job yeah, yeah I think in that's like a in real particularly in academic settings yeah, that's exactly. that really really bothers them and yeah that's a real like that's a real, it's, like it's a real it's a, point. it's a real bugbear and like part and like part of it is part of it is to drive a narrative part of it is uh, is it's not even dog whistling it's just whistling. Um, and part and part of it is uh, to make other people who might sort of stray into their crosshairs fear uh, sort of think twice about make about about uh, speaking up. And yeah. uh, the example I was thinking of was you know that bloke Aman who asked a question on Question Time. And then Guido went went out of their way yeah, to yeah. find a post that proves it didn't prove anything. It was just a joke post, which out of context yeah. did not look great, but in context, if you recognised it, absolutely yeah. fine. And the narrative has sort of already just been established, so it was more just like the, no, the, no nar- matter, the narrative yeah. was: if you are a if you are if you are a Muslim in this country, you'd better you'd better keep your you'd better keep your yeah. mouth shut. And I think that people, particularly like the mainly white, mainly male uh, shit post left, mainly mainly like to kind of they want to be involved too so they like to think oh well i'm gonna have my life ruined. i'm gonna be an example of but it's very very unlikely but then you have but then that creates its own its own kind of um production cycle where everyone is trying where everyone and again this is very much an element of twitter but again it's this is this is what we're talking about here everyone is trying to be the coolest and the most unconcerned um mm. and everyone is trying to like not be hysterical and not have a sense and like not be accused of like not having a sense of humor so if there's anyone saying actually you know what i actually really don't want to be doorstep by the daily mail that's actually something i really don't want yeah i don't want my uh i don't want my uh like my fa- my family name with like you know it, it, like it's sort of insinuations mm. around it so that it directs the attention of like you know stormfront towards me. I don't. I don't want that. Yeah. So then there have to be people saying, "Oh, well, actually, I wouldn't care if that happened. In fact, I'd enjoy it." Yeah. And it, don't worry, it's not going to happen. Your boyfriend thinks you're going to end up on the Daily Mail, <laughs> but then that is too much of an overcorrective. And then when someone is selected, and like the best example I could think of um, was Matthew Katzman, mm-hmm. who. Again, this has nothing to do with posting, but this is how it. But it, this is how it kind of played out. Mm. Um, who it was just an absolute non-story, and it's really, really indicative of the fact we also have a media who is like quite creepily obsessed with what happens in like the internal politics of undergraduate Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah, and it's because it's all there alma maters so yeah. they think so they're fascinated no one, by it yeah, no one ever writes about what happened in uh, in, in derwent college university of york's uh student no board. they don't, they don't. Sad, <laughs> isn't it? no one's right no one's writing a kind of a york law column <laughs> 
yeah, in, like, in, in like the sun or whatever. Um, but yeah, so like, so like UK journalism and like Rachel again, I'm sure you'll have, you'll have thought this <laughs> is like absolutely obsessed with what undergraduates and postgraduates at Oxford and Cambridge are up to in a way that I think borders on creepy. I was talking to some Oxbridge friends about this um, and some of them particularly who'd done student politics um, mm. and one of them who was like very, very badly sort of set upon by the media at that time. I won't go into more detail about it because I don't, wouldn't want to break it up again. Mm. But um, we were kind of saying like they it gives 19-year-olds at Oxbridge too much power over each mm. other because yeah. like you can so, if you're like, if you're like a sort of like, you know, like a, uh, aspirational 19 year old who wants to make yourself a media career you can very easily get like a splash on the telegraph yeah. by like you know like to eat photographing one of your friend like someone who's like your political rival in like the jcr or whatever in like a compromising position and it's such a tempting thing to do but i don't think a 19 year old thinks through no. what that looks like in the end and i think um someone who someone who i know who had this happen to them when they were 19 or never oxford which is such a horrible thing to happen to 19 year old a terrible thing to happen and to do but um he saw one of the people who did it recently and they were like oh my god like that was such a bad thing we did like i just thinking of it now and he was like yeah i mean like it really affected my life for like 10 years mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but and you just sort of like like i think yeah that the level of power they have over each other yeah. when they don't necessarily or they're not mature enough to think through the consequences of it. I think that's like a terrible thing. Like, I think that's, I think it's like totally disgraceful. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, it's, it's the cynical, like, it's very like telegraph and tight. Like the, the Times particularly loves there's, those. Yeah. There's a whole economy around. I was like, this, we don't need to like interrogate it too much, but like, yeah. Um, death, because obviously when you sort of do student media and student journalists, that world is even smaller and it's also just like filled with Oxbridge grads. And I remember like going to um, a journalism school, like Open Day. And meeting a couple of like people that worked at Cherwell, which is the Oxford main newspaper, right. um, who were just like, you know, and where we had sort of gone to this open day to just be like, oh, this is what postgraduate programs look like and all those things. Um, they were kind of, you know, they were the ones who were like, oh, I've already sold like, you know, 10 stories to the Times and the Telegraph. And like, basically all those stories were just like student gossip that mm. ended up in like national papers. And all of it was like based on... Yeah, just like moral panics, or yeah. like even just like panics about like you know left left wing politics. This was like during the Ed Miliband years, right? Like so, like nowhere near the scale as it is now. But like, yeah, those like, you know you have these like national national like reporters for these like newspapers and everything who are basically reaching out to students and being like, we will pay you like two hundred quid if you like can get this story for us and like sex it up and everything. And you know, so yeah, there is there is that whole kind of. Uh, sadly, there is that whole kind of yeah, it's, it's, economy yeah, around it, which has only expanded like since then. Oh yeah, no, no, and and with Twitter being added to like the arm of like to be added as a kind of as like a kind of odd uh, kind of hinterland arm of the of the media because it's like it's like obviously like it's kind of partly like collaborative and crowdsourced, but it's also like everyone is is both the creator and the reader mm. at the same time. And also people who are members of legacy media are also on their commanding sort of commanding pla- commanding platforms. And so it is so it is used as functionally an arm of the media, but an arm of the media where like the comment section has bled into um has bled into the the pieces. And Matthew Katzman um, there was a really good um, 
really good report about this written by um, Aditya Chakraborty in the in the Guardian. Um, and even like because even the thing he was alleged to have done did not strike me as it's that bad. A, yeah. it's literally not a big deal at all. Saying let's well let's take let's you know it's, it's 2020. Let's take the picture of the Queen down. But he didn't even do it. He was um, he was like overseeing the meeting where yeah, yeah, like the yeah. rest of them voted like voted for it. He's like an American postgrad student, very unactive on social media, and also and I think this is reasonably important. That very like not really particularly engaged with with what the media is like in the uk mm. um so at first when it when it sort of kind of blew up he thought it was sort of like no big deal um but then there was it was either that they published his address or they made it very very easy to find him and his family and um, there was lots of. This is what I said about like putting the kind of the, the sort of the uh, the heavy kind of insinuations, like printing, like printing both his like name like a bunch of times, which was like li- like it was as close as you can get from saying Nazis. Do you want to see where this guy lives without actually breaking any laws and doing it? Mm. And and of course, as the uh, as the police say to people who talk, who try to approach them about having been um, harassed, particularly along racial, um, racial or ethnic lines on social media, uh, they they say, "Well, it's not it's not illegal to do that." Mm. Like a like a friend of mine found out that he was on a uh, list of Jewish journalists that was being kept Jeez. by Stormfront, yeah. and he went to the police about it. He said, "It's well, it's not illegal to keep a list." And um, of course, in, in practical terms, it, it it it's not. That's no. that's true. But that's sort of not, that's sort of <laughs> neither here nor there. Like I'm, I'm just writing a list. I'm not doing anything with the list. Obviously, yeah. promise, promise, we're not doing anything with the list. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think that. Um, so I think that it's like it's really important. The other the other big example I could think of, and I couldn't remember her name, um, was a young woman who, and again. What she said, it was so minor. Um, and this is one of the things I find so offensive about um, the not just the hypocrisy, not just the not just the casual disregard for the lives of ordinary people, not just the racism, not just the misogyny, not it, not just the not just the hypocrisy. It's the hysterical unevenness with it, with with which it's all applied. Mm. Um, so any excuse will be, will be made for those who they wish to make excuses for. Mm. Literally any excuse <laughs> will be, will, will be made for it. But this young woman who was ri- again, written up in the Telegraph, um, very, very hostile in a very, very hostile way. There was a massive picture of her. Again, it made it very, very possible to work out where she was. And all she'd said was it would be nice for them to be there to be more black authors on the curriculum that's literally this is literally all she said and it got splashed as she wants to stop she wants to stop your children from reading white writers it's always shakespeare it's always shakespeare <laughs> it's always shakespeare like i can't remember the last time i even heard an english undergrad having to read Shakespeare mm. like it's 
everyone reads Shakespeare at school. It's yeah. fine. Shakespeare is not gonna is not gonna fall out of. It's not gonna kind of fall <laughs> into this. Yeah, like like imagine yeah that one that one girl on Twitter said like you know Shakespeare is classist and now no one's gonna read him like that's <laughs> that's just gonna outwork. Mm. Um yeah I yeah um and that's all she said and they deliberately made it look as if. Yeah, as if she had um, started this kind of insane, hostile, mm-hmm. um, hostile campaign against um, against white male writers, which 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 she which she hadn't. And I guess I guess some of this stuff as well is because the the panic over um, decolonize the curriculum is so mm. confected in the first yeah. place that you you end up selling to your readers basically like this terrible thing is happening where they're going to like blow up education as we know it. And it's just the only authors that anyone's going to be taught is like, you know, like one black female author and then no, no other. And actually if people, if people want to do an English degree and they can't read, that's just going to be fine because that's what they're <laughs> campaigning for. When you sell them this reality, that's just like not happening. Yeah. And then they're so, your readers are so head up about this like alternative reality that you yeah. end up like having to find examples and like pin the alternative reality. Yeah. You know, so someone says something vaguely of the thing and then you're like, it was her. her, her yeah. She's the one who said that you, yeah. shouldn't, you yeah. shouldn't need to be able to read to do an English degree. Yeah. She is the grand zero. Like. Yeah. I think one of the things that I think about whenever we, because we've had this conversation in like different ways in the past. And it, like the idea of just like the, the kind of assemblage of posts and like the methods in which like these posts have been like reported on and like represented and stuff um, end up projecting something that isn't kind of anywhere close to reality but becomes so potent simply because of how much and how far it's distributed and i was just thinking about this in another context which was a pe- like based on the piece that uh rachel you wrote when the queen like during the whole kind of like mourning oh, period yeah. when you shouldn't because you should have been mourning and not writing but you know well, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was wearing black there. i was wearing black while i wrote something <laughs> <laughs> um and you wrote this really interesting piece about brands and like all the kind of cringe posting that like the brands were doing around um the queen passing away and just like, like not only the fact that like the tributes were really weird, but just like their presentation and their aesthetic was really weird. And like a part of me sort of wondered whether like there's a whether the brands and like all these kind of places that didn't really need to do any sort of condolence posting. And I don't think it was really that effective, but they were kind of doing it partly because well, I wonder mm-hmm. whether some of it comes out of this fear of like, oh, if well, if we don't like send our condolences then you know then we'll end up in the daily mail yeah they will end up (laughs) well the people will get mad at us and they'll be like well why you know why are you sort of like you know posting your happy infographic that you like scheduled two weeks ago don't you realize the queen has died and like again i don't know how true that is but it definitely felt as if like you know and i think if this goes back to phoebe what you were saying about like you know overcorrection i think i I wonder whether that was it and i wondered whether you had any thoughts on like how brands sort of fit into this like you know this type of posting culture where you know where, where it sort of feels as if like you're kind of avoiding trying to avoid people getting mad at you in a climate where like you know all the incentives are like please get mad at these people <laughs> yeah um i think the the brand posting i saw is like two categories like i think one category was like um brands which have like cash converters which probably have like quite a white working class um customer base kind of frantically being like, oh shit, have Selfridge just posted something, we should probably post something then, or you're going to get in trouble if you don't. And I think someone like Cash Converters doesn't, I imagine the person who does their social media isn't like a 25-year-old grad. 
I reckon it's like the son of the guy who like owns it. You know, it's like it's somewhat it's not the normal marketing person. So I think for those, it was like a very earnest panic that they might something bad might happen if they didn't. Um, and then some of them were, I think it was like a bit more cynical, where it was like they clocked that people were making fun of the posts generally. So they were like, oh, this is a way to go viral. Like the Anne Summers one I thought was like that. Yeah. It was like, yeah. you know, it was very much a like, oh, everyone's laughing at these posts. So like if we do a funny one, because there was a, there was a one, um, oh, it was like Barry's Boot Camp or like one of these fitness brands, you know, those fitness brands. That are the, like, it was the CrossFit one. It was the minute, yes. the minute, and it was like, the minute silence. And yeah. It was like, you will do the splits and then a minute silence for the queen. And it was like very much clearly designed to like be funny online. It was like... Yeah. You know, right. like, well, it wasn't like no one would do it earnestly. It was like, you will do the splits, then a respectful minute silence. And it was like, I think that, and that came out maybe like a day or two after the actual death yeah. happened. Um, so yeah, I feel like the camps were either like, either like brands sort of quite cynically with, with I imagine like in that case, a 25 year old sort of like hotshot marketing grad being like, oh, like here's free publicity. Yeah. And then I think the other one was, and I guess it, it depends who your customer base is. Cause if it's mostly, um, if it's mostly, if it's an American company, like none of them really posted anything. because yeah, it's still, American it's still radio silence from the Cheetos, uh, Cheetos. <laughs> broadly don't care. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, if it's a, if it's a company, which is like mostly, yeah, sort of like white working class, like maybe right. like Essex, Essex Kent type, mm. type person. I think that's, that was a very like, you have to say something dignified and respectful to the queen. Yeah. But I think, um, I think, yeah, it's stuff, stuff which companies which have a younger base, a younger customer base, yeah. or are known as like funny to younger people. I think those were that was like a bit more, um, a bit more sort of cynical. And yeah. um, I think, like, I only asked question because I, when I was like on Instagram, like I, I didn't see the Barry's one, but there were definitely like personal trainers and stuff that like showed up on my like for you page and you know everything. Who like their sort of dedications? They didn't do like you know workout for the queen, but but one that I remember because I like I bookmarked it because I just thought it was very amusing, but in a very sincere way, was a kind of like feminist uh, it's a fitness coach who was who was basically just like in honor of the queen. Um, I'm giving discounts to like all the queens that I train, something along those lines, and like <laughs> you know these videos of like women doing like squats and everything. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, either this is like such a funny post that like I've got to give you kudos for it, or you're being so sincere. Um, and, I also yeah. and it's like, and I think it's like that mixture of, and you know, this is where I kind of came up with the video. I was like, sort of thinking, well, I don't actually know whether you're being sincere or not. Um, just because I, I guess the aesthetics kind of like look so similar now that it's really hard to sort of differentiate like what's like, you know, and I wonder how much of that is deliberate too. And again, like how much of that, you know, where, if you're sort of doing a post that is kind of like supposed to be like a, you know, a wink and a nod to like, you know, the posters <laughs> of like, if you know, you know, but like it's subtle enough that if someone like was to come across it, who would kind of be offended by that, whether sincerely or not, they wouldn't be able to necessarily recognize that it was like a post that you should be angry about. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, and I hope that one sounds like it was serious. Like, I think, I think for like the sake of how funny that is, I hope that was serious. <laughs> um, and I think, I think yeah, it's like, I, I just, I'm just like, I think when it's a company, I'm just like, who was the person who did this? Because if it's a 25 year old who has to sit on Twitter all time all day for work, then this is definitely a joke. <laughs> but, but if it's not that person, I'm like, this is probably not. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I think I think that's a, I think it's a very good observation. The idea that mm. like um, 
that it sort of becomes a sort of self-sustaining thing where like and and we've seen this like again and again and again where like everything that automatically stops being funny as soon as brands are like very obviously like kind of in on the joke themselves um yeah and that's I think that's definitely like, I think the, I think the Anne Summers one is a really really good example and I do quite often see stuff which has clearly been designed to go viral and you see people kind of quote tweeting on it to dunk and you just think oh you're just doing that you're just doing you're, you are their publicity work experience person well done yeah, well, you're like an engagement number where they can show you at the end of the month like how yeah. much like traffic and reach you got, right? Yeah, like they don't they don't <laughs> like include like how many of these quote tweets were positive and how many of them were dunks in your in like your end of year metric. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, all, all publicity is good publicity. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. The first rule, the first rule. Unless um, it happens to be about about the royal family, and then they're very un- then they're very unkeen on the on <laughs> unmanaged publicity. <laughs> If you were a brand though, and you got into the, if you were like the marketing person of like Barry's Bootcamp, and you managed to get Barry's Bootcamp into the Daily Mail on their homepage, I reckon that would be like a really good yeah. feat. Like I reckon, yeah. yeah, I reckon people at your boss would be like, like nice job on the on the Bootcamp yeah. workout, yeah, well, when, <laughs> on the workout yeah. for the Queen. <laughs> when I used to like work for a charity on their social media and stuff, like a lot of the reports about came out. Like you would sort of get like a mix because you know it was like a religious affairs like um think tank and you know you would get your fair share of like good publicity but you would also kind of get like your fair share especially from like you know secular parts of the press and everything like you'd get press that wasn't necessarily great and for the like the researchers in that organization they hated like any kind type any kind of like criticism or pushback and stuff like that but like the people who actually were giving the funding they thought that it was great like you know, if you ended up ended if the organization ended up in the newspaper, as long as it wasn't like something really, really scandalous, like mm-hmm. they would sort yeah. of see that as a win. And I think that sort of goes back to like actually what you were what we were talking about at the beginning about like well, when we talk about aggregators and um like outlets who sort of like capitalize on uh, online outrage and like who benefits from it and who doesn't. Mm. Like this is a very clear example of like well, when you have institutional backing, when you have all those like sort of protections in place. And like, not a person, you're like a yeah. veneer, like a, a mask. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Because like, if you're an, if you're an ordinary person, coming to the attention of a large number of people is more or less now like an unalloyed bad. Like there's like no one has ever, to my knowledge, come to like suddenly come to the attention of uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people without having an extremely unpleasant time with it and then that time increase and then that unpleasant Mm. time increases in like increases in severity in like kind of direct proportion to like your kind of like axes of of marginalization Mm. um so like if you are so like if you are if you are a trans woman of color and you become known to like (laughs) to like a huge number of people then that is going to be very 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 horrible and it's because and it's because and i think that like and this is the thing like it's obviously like a little bit elderly to talk about oh the the, the the kind of coarsening of like public speech and the coarsening of public discourse but it is true that like social media has basically replaced nearly all civic space like civic public space like this is like this is what like this is this is what we have now and it's very very easy to think of yourself as the kind of the only thinking 
kind of nucleus and everything else as like something which has been kind of placed in front of you for you to react to kind of like positively or negatively it's like it's a a well-worn observation that people find it very very difficult to fully conceptualize the people that they're talking to online as as fully human um in, in sort of in whatever way that might be and so like in the like and even like kind of five years ago if you were a woman and you went viral um then it would be it would be quite unpleasant there'd be like people in the ads like re-explain the joke or say or like saying you weren't funny or or you know or kind of like or saying you were a kind of silly little girl or whatever and now it's absolutely just like absolutely or like instantly like rape and death threats mm. and i and something has altered and i think that part of it is that over <laughs> over the pandemic i think genuinely an awful lot of people have forgotten how to behave Mm. i think it's sort of as i think it's sort of as as simple as that and because there are no civic spaces with which and again i'm not saying like oh we need to be debating civilly that's not what i mean at all i just mean like the kind of stuff that people absolutely casually and thoughtlessly say to each other online they would never even dream of saying even within earshot of yeah. of somebody that like um, most most, most people most like part, most yeah. like for the like for them for them for the most part yeah um and yeah so I think that there's just there's just no positive way of coming to the attention of a lot of people if you're just a kind of ordinary private individual whereas if you're a brand there's always a way that yeah. that can be like kind of leveraged into like brand behavior be yeah. that increased visibility or increased sales or increased engagement or whatever yeah I think that leads us to like. That was a very good segue into uh, the you. final <laughs> section, which is uh, Rachel's piece uh, about mm. uh, the, the, the dangers of, uh, or like the ethics around kind of like making ordinary people go viral. Um, yeah, I was, I, I was, I, I, I thought that like Phoebe, I was like a really good segue into it. But for people who haven't read your piece, which is in Kinfolk, um, Rachel, could you like talk to us about what it's about and like what kind of like what things were you noticing that sort of drove you to uh, want to write about this? Yeah, so basically I had written another piece for Rolling Stone about um, about just the idea of like what happens if you, that, that phenomenon of someone taking like a picture of the tube, of someone on the tube and um, going viral and it like becoming this big thing. And um, I was writing about it in the context of like, I of having people know stuff about you that they don't, you don't know that they know and all of that stuff. And like ages ago, I like was working in the office of someone who I knew they were cheating on someone I knew, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I like, I had this extra piece of information. It was like the piece was sort of centered around that. And then um, to the, this editor asked me to do this piece, but sort of based on that other piece um, about basically like that, but in a more concentrated way, not just people going viral because of like a random screenshot, but like people who are in these stories where like S-Town or the kidney donation story that was in the New York Times last year, that's just like, a couple of people get so it's come to symbolize like their feud or their drama or whatever comes to symbolize something much bigger. And so the story takes on this like huge life of its own. Um, and their life kind of like is symbolic, but is also their real life. And what does that mean for the kind of people involved? Um, so yeah, she that. So she kind of was like, do you want to kind of look into this and do a piece on it? And I thought it sounded fun. So I was like trying to speak. This was interesting because like I was Kinfolk's like a print magazine, so um it doesn't go online, which was actually good for this piece because I 
was trying, although this piece ended up, did go online in the end, but um, I was trying to speak to people who'd been involved in these stories. So I spoke to like, I tried to speak to the people who'd been involved in the kidney story. I tried to speak to this girl who was involved in the story where um, she was got in loads of trouble because they she said she'd lied in a college application for scholarship, but she hadn't lied. And it was this whole big thing. Mm-hmm. And um, none of them, none of them would, would wanted to be involved in any way because they were like, they had had such a bad time with their first experience of this. Oh. And they were like, I don't, I really don't want to, um, to, to, to speak to anyone who's, and I was like, it really doesn't go online. It's not going to happen again, but yeah. it didn't, it didn't like that didn't sort of wasn't persuasive because they all find that experience of being dissected in that way. So mm. like unpleasant. Yeah. Um, and a couple of them, like a couple of the people from the kidney story were happy to chat about how unpleasant it was, but not, not to speak with peace. Um, but I then I found this woman who was in S Town, which was this really big podcast where um, it was basically it was like a This American Life podcast where they like they always get weird emails from like people members of the public asking them to do weird stuff. Mm. And then this guy from like a rural town was like, oh, there's been a murder in my town. You should come and investigate it. And I don't think they usually respond, but his emails, I think he sent these very long, like essayistic emails and the journalist, which was Brian Reed, who did the Trojan Horse thing. He was like, um, probably just was like, this guy sounds interesting and sounds weird. I'll just go check it out. So he met um, he met the, the guy who ended up being the protagonist of S Town. And they, he, start, he started investigating this murder um, recorded a load of phone calls and stuff with the guy and went down and met him quite a few times, met his friends and stuff, and then realized there was no mur- murder. Basically, it was like, there's not going to be a podcast in this. I was going to just leave it, and that was it. But then the uh, man who ended up being the protagonist committed suicide, and then it ended up being this like huge podcast about his suicide. And oh, it's quite, quite, quite ethically questionable, I think, because yeah. he used... He used a lot of um a lot of their conversations they've recorded together weren't actually on the record, and he did they did use them in the podcast. And the journalist Brian Reed was like, "Oh well, it's fine because, or I you know I think it's worthwhile because it tells a bigger story and all of this." But I do I do find I did find it actually quite dubious. Like the more I sort of read about it, but um I found one of the people who'd been involved in that, which was this woman, Cheryl Dobson. Mm. And she was like very, very, very close friends with the, like I think she's basically his best friend with the protagonist. And um, she had featured in the podcast and stuff. And it was very interesting speaking to her because I I found her in like a really weird way. Like I found her um, through like a Kickstarter campaign or something. Like she wasn't very easy to find. And um, she she was happy to chat because she's since that, whole experience she's got really involved in like suicide prevention work and mm. um, so she was happy to chat with a view to sort of like talking about what she's doing now and like sort of semi promoting that oh. which was like totally fine but she um it was really interesting because basically she so she was like a sort of like mid-50s woman in this rural town like she didn't know what a podcast was like she'd never heard of a podcast mm. before starring in this one and she was like well they, they explained it to me like what it what like they explained that it would be on the radio but I didn't really know what a podcast was and she was kind of like well you know in fairness to them they didn't know how big it was going to be and I was like hmm <laughs> because like they didn't know it was going to be it was like hugely successful but like it was also on this American life mm, and I was yeah. like you knew it was going to be pretty big like <laughs> like you kind of go on sorry I was just gonna say like just like it was also like the the series that it was was serial right um yeah. and serial like the unknown Sayed story 
that was like the biggest podcast. I think that is like one, still one of the biggest podcasts of exactly. all time. So exactly. yeah, that does feel a little bit. Uh, it just felt a bit like I think they did technically explain it, but from speaking because she she was she was a very um she was a really interesting person. She was a very like generous person, and um, so she was kind of like, well, you know, to see it from their perspective they couldn't possibly have foreseen that it would be this huge thing. But like, I was like, I think they probably knew it was going to be like, like, you know, they maybe didn't know it was going to have like however many downloads exactly that it had, but I think they could tell it was going to be a big deal. Um, So I think um, in that I did, I did think that was quite exploitative because so she basically ended up getting all of this hate mail because they, it emerged in the podcast that her and the protagonist had had a, conversation maybe she was like the last person to speak to him before he died um and people the podcast had like sort of insane craze stands or whatever who felt very passionately about the protagonist and felt that she as a friend hadn't done enough to kind of step in so she was getting all this like insane hit mail from people who like obviously didn't know anything about their relationship didn't know and um she was able to turn it in and also like so at that time she didn't know anything about suicide, like had literally no, like, you know, she wasn't like a, she wasn't like a young person, like in the way that we are, where you're sort of like quite up on all of this stuff and you're like, you know, about mental health and stuff. Really, she knew nothing. And so she was in this weird position of like, she was really blaming herself because she had no context for a suicide really. And then all of these random strangers from the internet were also getting in touch to like tell her how terrible a person she was. And it was like a real perfect storm of like, and she thankfully, like she has a sort of good like network of friends and family and stuff. And um, I think that town kind of did support each other quite a lot because quite a few of them were in the podcast. And Mm -hmm. so a few of them were going through this experience together, but like, it was really, it was really horrible. And I think um, she then, someone sent her a really nice letter, I think, um, just saying that they, no, I think actually she she had a Twitter with like 100 followers or something that she made after this podcast. And then she kind of did a tweet Twitter thread, like explaining her perspective. And then someone sent her a nice letter after that saying like, I'm really sorry that you've been getting all this hate mail and stuff. And she said that was a really like affirming thing mm. to receive after that. But it was, it was like one of those things where I was like, this person's kind of like ended up dealing with all of this with, with no support, like with no, like, you know, the, the people who made the podcast didn't, they didn't tell her how to deal with this. Like she wasn't able to contact them to like ask for advice or anything. And um, it did sort of sound like they kind of just sort of like flew in and then like left town. And then it was just like everybody else left picking up the pieces. Yeah. And it was kind of like, um, yeah, it was a really, actually I reread, um, I was thinking back to the start of these stories where, where this type of story started. And I, I think the start was probably in Cold Blood by Truman yeah. Capote. And I read, I read that recently. Like I read it, was, I was on holiday recently because I was like, um, well, it's a long story as to where I reread it, but um, he basically goes around and speaks to the town's people and whatever and puts together details of this family who were murdered and everybody in the town. And and um, that was like, you know, that was like, you know, like decades and decades ago. But the tone of it is just so weird to read because it's like so salacious. It's so like, um, it's very gossipy. It's very like, um, and he speaks to, he speaks to people when they're grieving and, gets a lot of information out of them because they're grieving basically mm. and then there's sort of like no tempering of it and yeah it was an interesting one because I, I was looking like did anything ever happen with that like did anyone go back and you know like find how, how the people who had how the people who were represented in that book because also that book is like one of the most you know it was like a huge bestseller the year it was out and it's not like a huge classic yeah. so if you were interviewed for that book like that's 
that's your whole life is basically there. Um, and I, I think like Esquire, or maybe it was Rolling Stone, did like a 50-year anniversary thing where they went back and spoke to a lot of the people he'd interviewed. And most of them were like, oh, he misquoted me or like he mm. he changed like stuff that he said. And But at the time, obviously, they had no recourse mm. to do anything about it because he was this sort of like fancy writer and journalist. And they were just these like ordinary people from a small town. Um, and I was like, it was interesting to see like that dynamic still very much just plays out exactly yeah. the same way. Like the, the ordinary person is involved and it has no recourse to do anything about the way they're represented. And yeah. the the person who does the representing doesn't actually have a huge incentive to explain it to them better to, yeah, I don't know. It was a weird, interesting one. Although, although I, sp- I mean, I suppose like, I mean, we talk about social media being bad a lot. But I want I I wonder if like there is maybe this isn't naive of me, but if there is a kind of minor use case for social media in the the in the if if in Cold Blood was written now, then the townspeople would have at least minor recourse and minor and like kind of minor access to to a platform <laughs> to cut. I know I know I know it wouldn't go much in the way to like permanently yeah. set the record, but it's but. You know what? I'm, I was about to say, yeah, but it's better than nothing, is it? Isn't it? But I'm not actually sure. I'm not actually convinced that it's better than nothing. So um, <laughs> I almost think with because Cheryl Dobson, who's the S one person, like she do, she does have a tiny Twitter, which she kind of used to like put her sort of like side of how she felt it had gone and whatever. But um, I do almost think in a way, social media sort of makes it worse. Like I would have been mm. of the opinion, like at least it gives them a way to respond. Yeah. But actually I think it makes you much easier to find it. Yeah, contact. exactly. Yeah, no, no, it does. It does. I realised that as I, was, <laughs> as I was saying it. And that's so why like, I said it was naive because it was. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very much one of those things that it's very like, I guess it's the old like the journalist and the murderer thing. But I think to some people it's, that is to a greater or lesser extent for some people. And I think, the S twin things was much more mm. the the murderer side of it. <laughs> I like so one of the things that comes out in the piece, um, and something that I was just thinking about in terms of like virality and I guess like main characters also like a big theme on our show. Um, reads really like the idea of like like how our sort of sort of conceptions of vira- virality fit into like well wh- how they sort of conceive of like ownership and agency. Like you talk about agency in the piece and about how like um for like a lot of the people who end up becoming the subject of like online fascinations or even just sort of like becoming main characters uh in whatever way like they kind of feel you know the idea that you can just sort of like log off or whatever is a bit of a false one and ultimately that's kind of because people who um who end up like who yeah who end up kind of becoming the main characters out like despite not really seeking it um, end up feeling that they don't have power to correct a record or power to sort of like assert themselves. And I wondered like what your thoughts were on just like how concepts of like going viral and what it means to go viral, how that sort of has, whether you think that's affected um, how people think about like how much they own themselves, how much they own like their like, you know, privacy, their, you know, uh, their own data, I guess. I know that's like a, like a bit of a messy question, but yeah, I hope I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I see. I see what you mean. So, you mean like in the world of sort of like context collapse? If you get blown up, then mm. yeah, it's, it's hard kind, to sort of is, kind, that, is that the kind of? And I think I guess yeah, I mean yes. And I just to also like add on that, and this is really just based on the conversation, like the first part of this episode, where you kind of like well, you know, where you're sort of talking about people who are 
producing media in which like they kind of get the power to like define what a person is and like get to sort of like define their territories and everything and then they and like again like you know different people have different sets of protections and it's like the reason why you know not everyone has like the same or like not everyone gets similar like viral experiences people like you know there are people who are what who will be hurt by it much more than others yeah i think the the question of like agency as it relates to virality is a really interesting one i think in terms of like how gen z use a platform like tiktok because i think um a lot of them use so it's a lot of the a lot of people who use tiktok use it in the hope of going viral to promote something else Mm. so they'll be like you know like they'll be like making music or something but they hope that the it's hard to get attention as a musician like you know like difficult whatever so they're like if i make viral tiktok videos i get an audience that way i move the audience and they and they're very cynical about that and like they're very like it's actually it's fascinating to me like how much of particularly tiktok is a way of using virality to like Mm -hmm. sort of make other things happen for you and it's very like i did this um i did a piece on that sort of on that for like the new york times on this like for fave tiktok's 420 account which is basically like they they make like they make videos where they look stupid but the goal is they don't care because the goal is to that video to go viral because they look stupid and then to promote their band or whatever um and they're very clear-eyed about that and it was like interesting because this fave tiktok's 420 page is like mostly millennial audience mm-hmm. and it's all us uh, people you know it's like people our age being like oh my god it's so cringe that they're doing this mm-hmm. and they couldn't care less because they're like i literally don't care if you think it's cringe i just like put tomato sauce all over my face because the whole point is you're watching it that's what yeah. i wanted yeah. and it's very like um and i spoke there's one of the teams from that that i keep in touch with because just because he's a very interesting person but he or no he's, he's like 22 i think he's not a teenager but he but he is like he's like so so he, he's literally like I have my music career. It's impossible to get. And he's like the way the music business is now, none of it works. So right. TikTok is the thing. And it's like, I think there, there's an agency too. And I don't even think that's a minority or a like, um, you know, like white men thing. I think it's just a digital native thing. They just know yeah. how to use it and they know how to use it for their, to their advantage. Yeah. I think, um, I think the lack of agency is basically like, I think basically like the more native you are to a platform, the more agency you have with it and with the way that your content gets used on it. Yeah. And I think like that's, and, and I guess like maybe the more you live in it, it's whims and stuff as well. But I think someone who's like in their mid fifties, who maybe has like a Pinterest account that they like put pictures of like interior decor or whatever on that person going viral on anything in any sense of the word is just going to be like such a horrendously stressful experience yeah and they don't know enough about how the platform works to basically like yeah assert any kind of you know like that person can do like a thread or whatever but like they can't you need to know like the grammar and the syntax yeah, and everything absolutely. and that's just like it's totally lost to them and i think um i think yeah and even stuff like <laughs> sorry this sounds off topic but it is related but like <laughs> the adam levine's dms that were like leaking today where oh he was like god. oh my god it, it like, was like it's just, it was giving like i want your live girl or whatever oh god, it's, they, so, um, it's so it embarrassing. so bad like it's it's god it's really not <laughs> it's really not bacall and sinatra is it bloody hell <laughs> it was like really it was like so bad but it was like that's very much this dude who's like kind of a bit older like was never very cool like maroon five were yeah. never like a cool cool band and he 
is basically like he's clearly having like a midlife crisis of some description and is basically just like sat online like sending these messages and it's almost like a granddad like it's sort of like so like (laughs) his level of like understanding of the, the fact that like if you message like a 20 year old, they're going to like make a blog. They're going to make a TikTok about that. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to make a TikTok. It's just like his level of understanding about that is actually just like so low that it's almost, um, I'm not, I'm not saying I feel really sorry for the guy, but I think just like there's a, there's a sort of like nativacy to platforms, which always sort of works in a person's yeah. favor and can be manipulated. Yeah. And can, Cause I think even we said like, I think we said earlier in the show that um, it never goes well for someone to go viral. And I think, not necessarily because loads of influencers have and even like if you think of maybe the biggest influencer like Kim Kardashian, yeah. her whole career was from that viral sex tip. So it's like but you I know, like that, you can... I think that was like in I think that was in a very different time period. I think that and also she was from she's like already from a rich family and she was mm-hmm. already she already had like no she didn't have like a kind of platform per se but like she was friends with she was friends with Paris Hilton so she's very much like in that kind of in that world in that kind of milieu of like of like ultra and like ultra fame this wasn't something that was like she wasn't just like if she was like some just like some girl whose sex tape had been like had been stolen then she'd kind of leverage that to kind of make a career out of I think that I think that the harassment would very, very quickly have become. I think, I think it's possible though, that if she was just like some woman, but who was like, you know, like really, really like a TikTok person or whatever. Mm. I think it's possible that she could have used that, that, um, I'm not doing like we all have the same hours in the day. <laughs> <Skip protection. laughs> but I think it's possible she could have used she could have used that sex tip to generate some kind of like B list, B list, like B list. <laughs> um, I think she could have used that sex tip to generate some kind of like not the same, not the like married to Kim or sorry, married to Kanye West level, but like sort of B list doesn't need to work. Yeah, okay. Kind of like situation. Yeah, no, 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 I do agree with that. I think she was. I think she was very, very fortunate to for that all to have happened very much in the kind of the nascent right uh the nascent phase of like very very unmaterialist social media feminism so like a lot of like young women online were like no no no, no. like this is like this is like feminist practice and it's like no she just wants to be famous i don't think that's feminist practice in any reasonable sense um i agree with what you're saying about um virality always being a kind of a bad thing um so I'd like to offer so I'd like to offer like a bit of a corrective to what I said earlier mm-hmm. which is that I think that there is a significant distinction between people who go viral off content that they have made themselves and willingly put in the public domain and people who have been turned into content by other people or by the media mm-hmm. I think there's like I think there's a huge distinction and I think that the second that there's no way of having a positive experience if you're in the second group there probably is a way of having a not necessarily positive experience because like if you look at like tiktoker and youtuber burnout it's like it, it seem they, like they, they seem to be kind of like roughly on a like yeah. you know on a sort of on a sort of par with like kind of doctors in like how and like how quickly they're just like i literally <laughs> i'm having a breakdown yeah <laughs> the thin tiktok line who are here to protect us against virality <laughs> um, yeah i think yeah i it's, it's it like it uh, it's very interesting because i saw um i saw a, a, t- a tiktok yesterday that someone sent me um, I now can't remember the name of the TikTok. This is really good, isn't it? Welcome to Aunties and Uncles podcast, <laughs> where, when we don't remember anybody's name. Um, and she was using as an example of this 
this woman who has like 2 million followers on TikTok. She's an absolute, she's a gigantic TikToker. I had never heard of her. Obviously, I'm in my 30s. Um, but she had, she'd stolen like a teenager's scarf or something at a concert. Mm. And the teenager's mum had been like, did you just steal my daughter's scarf? Yeah. And then she like makes this whole film about how like, oh, this like, bitch karen was like <laughs> accusing me of stuff. she was like filming this and, and honestly like this woman was was completely calm and completely reasonable yeah, throughout yeah. this throughout this video um she presumably like she didn't like she didn't like she didn't like being filmed you could tell that it was making her uncomfortable but like she didn't try to like prevent that from happening and yeah, and she uploads this exchange, this whole thing about how like, oh, just so you know, like, I'm glad I took your, I'm glad I took your thing because your mum's a bitch and you're going to turn out to be a bitch as well. And all the comments are like behaving as if she has like done some like revolutionary oh, as opposed to, as opposed to just bullying a stranger yeah. and then using their image and um, and all of that sort of stuff without consent and then inviting yeah. her huge number of people to harass this person. And I do think that particularly, it's particularly Twitter, but I think it's a kind of social media-wide malaise that the, we've ta- we talk a lot about like how normalized like surveillance is to like mm-hmm. the average person. Um, but I think like, harassment like harassing behaviors is normalized to the extent that i think that people don't connect quite a lot their like very kind of low level harassment behaviors with someone sending hate mail to somebody that they heard on a podcast and they didn't like what they had to say for themselves like so like for, like for example and like i know rachel you, you and i have talked about this before separately mm-hmm. But this thing of if you don't like somebody else on Twitter, talking about them and slagging them off on the timeline with a view to hopefully them seeing it and upsetting them. And I don't mean famous people. I don't mean public figures. I don't mean columnists or whatever. I mean, just like just like a person. Yeah. Some tweets that are designed. Yeah. And then like you and then you slag them off and then somebody else says, it's always a mixture of true and false information, which mm. again just stays in the ether and never gets and right. never gets corrected because yeah, no yeah. one's interested in it being corrected. But it's but quite a lot of the information is is that gets that gets shared is gleaned from a mixture of surveillance and quite frankly, kind of preternaturally long memories. Mm. So, like someone says, I don't like this person, this other tweeter, which again I think very much keep it for your group chat because even for your circle like, like come on like I, I don't know like there's something so like being like a kind of school bully and sort of saying something when you know someone's an earshot just to upset them like i think if i think yeah. if you've got something to say about somebody keep it in your keep it in your dms but anyway um but then other people kind of join in with the oh weren't they the person who said this stupid thing weren't they the person who did this weren't they the person who ghosted this other person one time and if you see it which um is which is i think i think is the goal of doing this the idea yeah. that some that you know the kind of the frisson of all oh, they might see this and be really upset wouldn't you just think if you saw this and you know that there are these people who you don't know who have been collecting as a sort of collaborative open source information project, this 
both a mixture of facts and lies about your life. And wouldn't you just think, will I never be free of my mistakes? Um, mm. But also, like, I think very few people who participate in this sort of thing. And like, again, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not perfect and I'm not scolding anyone because I've definitely done this. Yeah. I have participated in this. I have definitely done this probably hundreds and hundreds of times, basically without thinking of it thinking about it and I don't and I haven't connected it in the past in my head with it being harassment behavior mm. but it is it is harassing somebody to keep information from them about them from years past and to kind of trot it out to remind them of it but in a way that they cannot possibly defend themselves because if they show up in the ads and one of these things and say look well this isn't even true and also this was five years ago and how do you even know about it yeah um because then they get accused of name searching. Yeah. Um, which, again, is like, I mean, people behave as if people, beha- it's like when, um, it's like when people like catch someone cheating because they like look in their messages or something as if the looking in the messages is the like, is the primary offense <laughs> here. Like the idea, because like, this is the thing, I don't name search. Um, I never name search. I get scared of names. I would never name search. I cannot imagine anything I'd like to do less. <laughs> Um, Rach, do you have a name search? I once searched for the responses to a piece of mine to see mm. what people were saying about it. And um, so an American had shared it and they said, this is a real fist pumper, a real hands in the air. Mm. And I just never needed to see anything else that yeah, anyone exactly. said about yeah, that, yeah, that's it. Because yeah. it was excruciating. Like that was yeah. the experience of, of having some man from like Chicago be like, I was pumping my fists in the air at this one. I was just like, I needed to like never, to never know that this was happening. And I like the idea, the mortification of this fist bumper is just like, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really scarred by it. Like I really, I really never needed to know that anything was, um, so is that, that was happening. Is that, is that worse to you than like ne- the negative feedback? The fist bumping, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I'm such a sicko. I find, I find <laughs> negative feedback funny. Um, and I find, I never read the comments and things like that. Yes, probably right. by, it I sustains find, you. It energizes yeah. you. <laughs> I find negative, ne- negative feedback funny. And I always pretend I don't see it and whatever. Like, it's just funny to me. But the, um, there's a guy who, like, always shares my pieces with these, like, sparmy remarks i've seen them because other people send them to me which mm. i don't think you should actually do you should just leave it yeah absolutely um, i agree <laughs> they i did this one accidentally recently because i assumed they had seen it and then i was just like i shouldn't have done that it's like created angst where there needed to be any mm. but um he always like shares my pieces with these like smarmy kind of like fact check type responses and i just know the funniest, but the funniest thing in the world is for him to think i don't know he exists so i will never under pain of death like <laughs> respond or <laughs> Or get involved with it in any way. I, I think there's something there's something muddying and grubby about having to respond yeah. to or about responding to stuff like that. And it's and also it's like I know it takes time. Like it's sort of like a, like a couple of this was a couple of months ago now, but like someone wrote like a blog about me and someone sent it to me and I was just like, I didn't need to see this, but also I was like the energy of having to I'm not gonna like blog back, I like, don't care. <laughs> I'm just like the energy of having to like Oh my god! I just would. I would rather just like never. And and I also I, I genuinely think with pieces, if you've written a piece, you have to just stand by it. And like, yeah. what would if someone writes a blog about it? They write a blog about it. Like I don't. I don't think you can be issuing missives and correctives and stuff after it. Just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, so, I, um, I agree. There's a, there's a certain kind of there's a certain kind of person who every time <laughs> they write something, they then like issue like a, kind a thread. Of, they kind no, of issue never. a kind of like thread of I guess footnotes. <laughs> never, 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 never do that. 
we're so it's so you should yeah just peace has to sit by itself but also it's so much cooler to just like sit back from yeah. the <laughs> and, it's, it's and much more didian like to do that yeah it's, it's so <laughs> undignified to be like scra- scrapping in the comments of your of yeah, your yeah. I, I would never, never comments i think i think i think like once or twice like if someone says something interesting or something like but i just the thing of having to respond to what people say about you online i just so strongly disagree with that it. it should be a thing that you have to do now i just yeah. think you should be you should be allowed to sort of opt out of it and yeah the thing of um i think yeah it's, it's normal to talk about people online as if they don't as if they're not a real person or they can't see it when yeah. you know they blatantly can but it's also very cool to pretend that you don't see it because yeah. you're you're just above those little things yeah. um so i, I, I quite agree <laughs> um we are running a little bit close yeah. to time yes. Um, I did have one more thing that I wanted to say about the thing that we were talking about before, before we move on to wrapping up questions. Yeah, sure. Um, it's just something just suddenly occurred to me. Something that we actually didn't touch on. We talked a lot about um, about like how kind of manufactured outrage with like a person to pin it on as a scapegoat is like something that kind of energizes and feeds uh, the kind of the narrative of, um, I was going to say like, the right wing media but like basically all of uk media at like at this point pretty much apart from very very few limited exceptions um but something that we didn't talk about were the uh the legal consequences of posting um and the uh and the expansion uh the expansion of the policing and crime bill and how that interacts with the expansion of the malicious communications and um, a technology bill which is in in kind of consultation at the moment and that is because we are planning an episode about um people who've kind of fallen on the wrong side of um very 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 kind of sharp and disproportionate legal consequences for the stuff that they post it's not because we have forgotten about it it's because we are planning an episode and it's a little bit complicated to do yeah so yeah preview for preview for like the next preview one in this like in this series <laughs> or this thing that's becoming a series <laughs> we didn't quite plan um yeah let's let's wrap up like i wanted to like, and maybe like a good way of like wrapping up the like wrapping up this conversation um is some is some good old speculation because like something <laughs> i was thinking about while i was like writing the notes is like what is not necessarily the logical endpoint of this but like i think what i'm sort of seeing and i what your piece seemed to like kind of allude to as well is um like a disparate like there is this sort of like disparity in virality and i think as we've spoken about in like in this episode in various like um with like yeah with like different examples and case studies is how some people are sort of set up to manage the virality benefit from the virality much more so than others and that as kind of like surveillance driven virality through social media continues to sort of expand and, con- and these platforms continue to like benefit from it um I wouldn't be surprised to see that, like, as you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised to see like ordinary people, i.e., people who are not like content creators or people who like um, depend on kind of like being online uh, as part of their, you know, to to make a living. I wouldn't be surprised if they, if to see like them kind of like opt out of the future of like, ex- uh, or just being like warning people like not to kind of like post their you know social experiences or their lived experiences online and then what we might see is kind of like a social media where there are definitely like people who go viral but like people who already sort of exist in that space whether they aspire to be influencers or whether they aspire to sort of be like you know notable online somehow and i wondered like what uh, rachel what you thought about that as kind of a potential prediction but i guess like you know 
as kind of people become more suspicious of virality or at least sort of like become much more wary of it, but they also have to become more accustomed to it. Do you think that this is going to like change the way that like people produce, like people kind of use the internet and just how, yeah, I, I guess like how content is kind of produced in future? And um, yeah, I think a lot of, I think a lot of like people are quite suspect about the idea of, you know, like potentially blowing up in that way already. Mm. And I think, um, I think the idea of like, yeah, I think, I think already there's a sort of like slight chilling effect on in terms of like, I guess the type of platform that people use, like people who are over 50, maybe tend to use Facebook mm. where you can't really go viral in the same way. Um, and I think there's, I guess there's like divisions like that that already exist. But yeah, I think, um, I think it's, it's thought of as a, as an unpleasant thing by a lot of people. And yeah, like, I guess that, that means like maybe more reserved behavior. I I think the thing that's more interesting to me is like at the minute, I think it's pretty, it's grown up as an as evolved as a norm that you can just like, if you're like the daily mail journalist, you can just like put someone in blast in that way. And it's like, that's, there's nothing unethical about that. Like we mm. might think it's unethical, but like there's no standard around that. Yeah. Mm. And I could maybe see that emerging as more of a change, like that yeah. there, there, there is a standard where like, that's not a way to get stories or something. I don't know what would have to happen, like something yeah, very yeah. bad. But I think um, I could see a change in that. It's not impossible because no one's ever agreed the rules of that it just happened one day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was also something I was thinking about. Also like kind of remembering what we spoke about, but you know, when we were talking about like reality TV and mm. how coverage of that mm. has sort of changed as like it's kind of become undeniable just like how it's quite taboo brutal, to, yeah. to talk about yeah 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 but I as think a, I yeah. a taboo evolving yeah agree but as those truths have sort of become well as, as as it's become harder to sort of like you know not confront that like it's definitely changed the way that people talk about like mm. a reality tv and i don't know like i don't know too much i don't know enough about it to sort of like make a judgment but definitely something that i think might you know we might sort of see that being more common as I guess like people talk about well how do you write about like stuff that ends up on the internet and like I actually I actually I actually disagree with the reality TV point I think that what's happened now is that the is the exactly same kind of processes of production and kind of manners of um mm. discussing it of like they've they've stayed basically the same but with a kind of a Obviously, um, don't want to give them give any of the mental health. However, um, <laughs> however, yeah, it's okay, like yeah, it's the true. it's the same stuff, but with like little like kind of sad face emojis. Like they, <laughs> on this year's Love Island, the episode it was an episode far far um, ahead of the episode that we were talking about when we yeah. did the episode about it. Um, but they brought they brought in as a kind of as a kind of surprise villa. I was going to say candidate dweller yeah villaist what do they call them <laughs> uh, like they're not show no showstoppers is like the bake the lads and the lads um, in the villa okay so they as a, as a kind of surprise as a surprise lad in the villa yeah the guy a new challenger appears a situation. new challenger appears yeah uh the guy whose behavior who had been in it before in a previous season whose behavior had been so appalling what? that women's aid had like issued a statement about him like he was like he was the kind of poster boy for like emotional abuse. Jeez. And they brought him back and it was treated like, oh my god, so this is gonna cause some drama and cause some waves, as opposed to what the fuck? Why why is this why am I seeing this person on my TV again? Why has this man been rewarded for his past behavior um oh, yeah. with like with kind of further like further kind of media 
um, both kind of infamy and fame. And also, he got he got he got together with somebody in the villa. As, as far as I know, he's still in a either relationship or business partnership with, depending on how cynical you want to be about yeah. these <laughs> about these partnerships. Um, but yeah, so and for all this talk about. Oh, you know, oh, it's just people facing consequences. The consequences are, again, very unevenly applied, shall we say. Mm. And all the people who said, I can't watch it this year, like it's got a, it's got a body count now. It's it, it, this is this is this is dangerous, creepy stuff were were waving their hands around saying, like, oh, I can't believe he's back. So I so ge- genuinely, mm. I don't think. There's, yeah, okay, you're there's right. much of a yeah, you're much right. of a change in that. Just you're right. I retract that. We're doing a lot of retractions. Doing a lot of retractions. <laughs> lot of retractions, <laughs> retractions yeah. correctives, amendments. Okay. Well, before we footnotes. like, yeah, yeah before, before, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. release another episode, yeah. which is just the footnotes all, to this yeah, one. All, all the show notes on this one will just be footnotes. <laughs> right. Sure. Um, okay. To come back for that, right? For the footnotes, <laughs> footnotes episode. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, well, look, on that note, uh, we should like actually end the episode. So, Rachel, thank you so much for uh, lovely chat. Um, it's always really fun having you on and I'm sure that uh, it'll be great to have you back on soon yeah. uh, if people want to like follow your stuff and like keep up to date with your work how can they do that um, my Twitter is at Rachel Connell 14 it's like an old style Twitter name cool uh, yeah all that and also all the kind of like links to Rachel's work that we talked about in this episode and the uh, book stuff will also be in the show notes as well um, we don't really need to do any plugs do we yeah yeah, I'm only gonna say like for people who don't know, uh, this show is produced by Devon. You can follow them at Devon underscore on Earth, and you can also listen to their podcast, Kill James Bond, uh, if you don't already. I-, I think on that note, we should like wrap it up for good. So thank you so much, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye. 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 Bye.